This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing C.R. Rice, and our guest today is Rob Sanborn. Woo! Woo! I do that as if they don't add something to make it sound cooler. We used to do this live. Rob, I don't know if you know that. So we used to actually have people that would, it, anyway, it's a long time. Yeah, story. you need a studio audience. <laughs> I had a studio audience. And laughter I, and all that. Yeah, COVID, you can't have a studio audience anymore, really. Well, it depends, I suppose. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking real quick so people can drink along. I um, I am I decided to drink wine. So today I got a bottle. I love Malbec, and somebody gave me, I'm going to say this completely wrong, Luigi Borsa. Anyway, anyway here, it's super <laughs> fancy, and it's an award winner, and it says all this cool stuff, but it's a Malbec. So I'm very excited about that. Although there is what appears to be a gravestone with a sword through it on the bottle. So this could end badly for me. I don't know. It's going to be fine. It's going to be an is experiment. It, is it Spanish? That'd be great. <laughs> I, it is from Argentina. So yes. Yes. It's super fancy. Oh, on the gravestone, there's a heart and a chicken. This has many layers. We could spend quite some time. I was going to say, you hell. should take pictures of the of the label so that we can put it on and we could do like little comments to figure out what everybody thinks it means. Yeah, no, I'll have to do that because it's anyway, a friend got it for me for Christmas because when you do a drinking podcast, all everybody gives you as gifts is alcohol. So it's fun. Nothing Not wrong a problem. Not complaining anyone listening. It's fine. Okay. CR, what are you <laughs> drinking? I am um, still drinking the green tea and vodka, you know, doing the healthy lifestyle this year and stuff. <laughs> so that's a healthy version of the Red Bull and vodka. Exactly. I'm being kinder to myself. Got to get those vitamins. That's good. I have an entire cherry bomb story. I could tell at some point it was near deadly. Okay, Rob, what, were, what are you drinking? I am drinking a, it's actually a pre-made cocktail, but it's delicious from a local distillery in Denver called the Fa uh, Family Jones or Automatic Jones. And this particular one is called Rock and Rye. And they make a lot of different whiskeys and a couple of different ryes and also some vodkas. And they're fantastic. And this is it's basically an old fashioned in a bottle, um, but you would it does not taste like it's pre-made at all. It's really good. And wow. yeah, also have a water, of course, in my trusty Prisoner of Paradise mug which is my book i like that shameless <laughs> self-promotion that was awesome just slid that right in there yeah like no, that was brilliant i get that bonus <laughs> okay and by we the way also... sorry to interrupt you but if we do go down the route of the label the label i would love to show you something super cool that is in that vein oh okay no that okay wait totally. let's jump right into that yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Um, oh, I do have to say this episode is sponsored by Skunk Brother Spirits. They are amazing, amazing, amazing. Veteran 
family-owned distillery in Washington State. And um, if you use podcast podcast coupon, I didn't. I haven't even drunk anything yet. It's great. Um, uh, coupon code DWA ten. You get ten percent off. Oh my goodness. Okay. Where's Rob, my postcard? Because I think we're gonna need it. Yeah, get the postcard out. <laughs> I, can, I can see it's coming. My postcard. She holds up something, so I say the right things at yeah. the end of the podcast. It's great. Yes. Um, Rob, uh, why don't you tell anyone who is not familiar with you what you write? Sure. So as you saw from my mug, my book is called The Prisoner of Paradise. So I suppose I can show the book instead of the mug. <laughs> um, and The Prisoner of Paradise is a thriller blended with historical fiction and magical realism set in Venice, Italy in the present day and also in the 16th century. And it's about an American couple who travel to Venice on vacation. And the husband comes to believe that his true soulmate is not his wife, but a woman who was murdered in 1589. And her soul is basically trapped in the world's largest oil painting. So he goes on his wife. He also suffered a traumatic head injury. So his wife actually thinks that he's suffering from delusions. Um, but he's convinced that it's real. And he goes on this quest and discovers this ancient religious order who over centuries has developed a way to extract people's souls from their bodies. And then they imprison them in this painting. And again, it's the world's largest oil painting. It's massive. It's a real painting by uh, Tintoretto, a Renaissance master. It's about 80 feet wide by 40 feet high. It's about 12 feet off the floor. It's gigantic and has thousands of people in it. And all of these people are imprisoned souls. So the main character, Nick, will do anything that he can to free his soulmate from another time. But this religious order will do anything that they can to stop him because they claim all of these souls are evil and releasing one would mean mean releasing all of them. So he's ditching his wife for a girl in an oil painting? That's like next level dark. I like it. I'm just. He doesn't ditch his wife. He's madly in love with his wife. He's actually he's torn. No, he doesn't want to ditch his. He wants to like be his with his wife, but also free his beloved. And he has a series. He has a series of flashbacks to the 16th 16th century. So he has this very very strong connection to her. But yeah, he doesn't awesome. ditch his wife. Well, maybe layers, CR layers. We're <laughs> seriously. There's there's a love triangle with dead people. So just it's uh, it's fine. A little bit of something yeah. for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and okay. actually, I'm glad you said that, Erica, because at the core of the story is a love story. See, see, look how astute I am with my wife. Just intuitive. I am. Yeah. I just New that is awesome. Choice. So, Rob, when did you start writing? So I have a screenwriting background, and I started writing screenplays a very long time ago. Let's just say it was in the last century. And (laughs) I had a mixed level of success with that. So I wrote nine scripts, five of which were options, and had an agent manager, all that. I used to live in L.A. for a pretty long time. And I actually originally wrote this book as a screenplay. And it was optioned by a production company founded by DreamWorks execs, which was cool, but it was never made into a movie. And when the rights reverted back to me, I had the brilliant idea of, hey, I'll just whip out the book (laughs) and then I'll have the script ready to go. 
So as every author knows, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it was a very long learning curve for me. Um, you know, I had the writing background, but novel writing is pretty different from screenwriting. I often use the analogy of like playing an instrument. It's kind of like, you know, playing the same song on drums and like a church organ or something, you know, whatever is the most complex instrument you can think of. And no disrespect to the drums at all. I actually used to play the drums. <laughs> um, and, but it is kind of like that. So um, I started writing the book probably about five or six years ago. And it did take a while, but there was a lot of stoppage time. It wasn't like I was writing every single day. And then I went through the agent submission process, uh, got an agent, and then they went through the submission process with a publisher. And uh, so it's published by a publisher called Touchpoint Press. And it's actually, um, I have a three book deal with it. So this is the first of a series. So that is awesome. I love yes. that you got a three book deal because that doesn't always happen. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And the next book is coming out in October. And then the third book is coming out in uh, 2023. And the audio, first audio book should be out in about a month or, or two as well. Very cool. Is Did you make this into a series or each of them standalone? It, well, the first one could be read as standalone. Um, it does have a satisfying enough ending, I believe, to enjoy it, but the story definitely continues. And so the, the subsequent books are definitely part of the series. That's very, very cool. That's awesome. What made you get into writing to begin with? So I do understand the whole screenplay thing. I write screenplays. I do get that. But what made you decide to go that route? Because I have a follow-up question. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's fine. Okay, I'm going to take okay. a step. You answer. And there we go. Honestly, I think it's similar to what a lot of writers go through, which is that I've been writing since I was a kid. I've always loved it. I've always loved books. I've always loved movies and TV and pretty much any form of entertainment, period, to be honest with you, live performances as well. And I really consider myself more of a storyteller than a writer. I mean, I think my writing is pretty good, but... Um, where I really think I excel is as a storyteller. So I've always loved telling stories, whatever the medium. That's very cool. Um, the reason I say that it was interesting because I've talked to some producers in Hollywood and not, in, well, they're in California. I shouldn't say Hollywood. Hollywood sounds super fancy, but it's not, didn't work that way well, all the time. People who live in LA don't think it sounds fancy. Yeah. No, I grew up, I grew up in Hollywood actually, but anyway, yeah. side note, I um, talked to a couple producers and one of the things they said, which I thought was really interesting is there are people that are not actual, like that are just screenplay writers. So they don't end up doing a lot of world building with their screenplays necessarily, because there's a, like a specific there. And you can, it's funny because he was talking about how you can really tell when somebody just does only that and has not done any fiction, that sort of thing. Cause it sort of starts on page one and ends on, but you don't see the world built around it. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. And I, you know, th there's a fine, there's, there are so many nuances to both. You know, they really, there really is a fine art of each one. A screenwriting, I think is a little bit more like poetry, whereas um, book writing is, you know, is prose. But I would say that screenwriting is a little closer to poetry in that regard of, of the flow. You know, you want to make sure that it almost looks like a moving picture on the page and, and you go down more as opposed to going across. 
And so, I mean, there is, I guess it depends upon the script, but like you want to world build, but you don't want people to get lost into like heavy chunks and blocks of text that you would see on the page in a book. And, you know, one of the things that I struggled with actually going to novel writing was was the opposite of world building. It was really more of like things like internal dialogue and emotions, nonverbal cues, all that kind of stuff that you would never put into a script. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's more when he was saying it, and it was that it's you can tell when somebody's writing because they've built the the whole thing in their mind and that they're not thinking about just the 90 minutes. Like you can tell there's more of a back history, more of something like you, when you get done watching the movie, you go, this could be, you know, five movies because there's more to this. There's more to the little character. There's more to how they do that. I don't know. It's interesting for somebody who's watched a shit ton of bad movies. Like you can tell when it's just like, this is what's on the page. I can say my last one was last night. I couldn't make it through called alien encounters with uh, Bruce Campbell. It was terrible. Is that they were so amazing? He is amazing. He has done some pretty terrible crap, though. Not yeah, but they're like campy crap. Yeah, it's it, this was really crampy. Termites were the uh, villains. Termite <laughs> aliens, and they were harvesting the wood to send back to their mother planet. So and his what female was, co-star was. It Venus. seems like it makes sense. And they're tiny. Like, what? Couldn't they just spray them? Can they just fumigate it? You know, he was, it, it all started off that he was a part of a space mission that was gone for 40 years to put a probe out in the world. And he came back and he was an doctor of osteopathy, which seems weird to send on a space mission with three other people. I don't know. It, well, it definitely. Your phone, your phone the big question them. is, yeah. were they actual size of termites or were they like big alien termites? No, they were like five foot tall oh, termites. Okay. Uh? Oh. They referred to them as the mites. Of course they did. Okay, yeah. just for anybody who's listening or watching this, if you go watch this particular movie, do not at no hate mail, because I warned you, I turned it off. I have no idea how it ended. It was terrible. <laughs> it was really bad. So um, when you wrote, how long did this book take you, this first book? Yeah, so I don't know exactly, but like probably about five or six years total but there was a ton of stoppage time and a lot of writing and rewriting. Um, This book is about 100,000 words, for example. I probably, without exaggeration, wrote about 200,000 words for it. So I'm a bit of a perfectionist with that. And then also, you know, with all the querying time. So anyway, this is a very, very long answer to your question. (laughs) But- um, That's I'm okay because I'm gonna say three years of actual writing time. Now the second book only took one year. Oh, you absolutely get better, especially if you're a perfectionist. It it gets you have to let it go. You have to let it go, let it go. Because I mean, otherwise you you'll end up writing that damn book for like 20 years. You'll just keep yeah. writing that same book. You're like, no, I'm just gonna tweak it. I'm I'm sure also if you've actually read it now that you've written the second one, if you go back and read the first one, you'll be like, oh. I should have changed this thing. And well, one silver lining of the pandemic for me anyway, is that the book's release date got pushed back by about a year. 
So I had ample time to go back and edit it, edit it, um, and particularly actually adding setups for the following books. So that was kind of cool that I had that opportunity. And yeah, so I, I had that experience, but I also fortunately had the chance to correct those things. Very cool. How come you went um, traditional versus um, self-publishing? What made you decide to go the agent route? You know, honestly, I, I didn't really consider self-publishing at all at the time when I was querying. I suppose it came from my screenwriting background, which, I mean, you, you can, yeah, you can make a movie on your own, but, you know, it could be Alien Encounters too. <laughs> Um, oh my God, if somebody would fund the sequel to that, I'd go have to fly out to wherever yeah. they are and punch them. So, <laughs> yeah, so the typical way of going about it and with screenplay with screenwriting is to get an agent or a manager and go that route. So it was kind of just in my head to do that. But I'm glad I did for sure. How's it been um, since the book release for you? So I mean, in a sense, it's been great. Um, but the other side of it is, and this is something that nobody tells you, is just the, the amount of marketing. If I could do Drinking With Authors podcasts only, I would be in a very, very, very happy place. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And there's just so much to do all the time, like so much on social media and all these different things. And so that is a huge amount of time. I don't necessarily mind it that much because I also have a, a marketing and sales background. but it's the, the time that is taken away from writing. You know, it's like, no, I absolutely. Really just want to write the work. I'm working on the third book now. So I want more time for that and other things as well. I'm actually working on a number of different projects, um, but it's you know, just like so much time. I, sp I spend probably like four or five hours a day on various types of marketing for the first book, but I feel like I need to do that. You know, I'm a debut what? author. Nobody knows me, so except the people watching. Now you know me, so yeah. No, you have to get your name out there. It's a different. It's very different than it used to be. It's very different than you know showing up in bookstores and things like that. Like there is definitely a finding your audience and then making yourself accessible to your audience. Because gone are the days where people maybe wrote a letter to their author person that they liked that arrived at that you know agency. Blah blah blah. Now it's hey, I want to be able to talk to them. I want to be able to message them on social media. I want to be able to, to follow yeah. them on Twitter or TikTok or whatever the heck you're on. TikTok's, that's a whole ridiculous thing. I'm you on have all, to do that every above. day. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I'm on all the above. And yeah, and it's so true what you're saying, Erica. And the other thing is I'm with a small press. You know, it's one thing if you're with a big five, especially if you're a big name and you don't have to do all the marketing yourself. But um, I mean, and my publisher helps a, a little bit, but the, you know, the majority of the onus is on me to do as much of the marketing as possible and promotion of publicity. No, absolutely. And just, I mean, what you're experiencing, unless you're one of the big names with the um, big five, then you still have to do this as a matter <laughs> Like you get with the big five, Woo! I'm with McMillan. You're right. doing the same you, exact you thing with maybe less contact with your publisher than you have right now with the small press, right. you know, cause they're like, cool, we published you do all this stuff. Talk to you later. Okay. Here's your sales mm -hmm. report a year later. We'll let you know if you owe us a advance back or something. Right. <laughs> Crazy. What about CR? What about you? I said monopolize the conversation. <laughs> you said you were working on a number of projects. Do you have like other writing projects you're working on or are you still working it with like screenplays or 
All of the above, actually. So, yeah, so I am writing the third book of this series. I'm also pseudo working on a novella that is a kind of offshoot of this series. And then I'm actually, believe it or not, working on three screenplays as well. How can Great. I do all that? Yeah, so how can I do all that? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't have the time really. But I, with the screenplays, I have decided to work with writing partners on those. So three different writing partners. So, which is kind of cool because I, I can kind of, I'm, I'm not, obviously I haven't had a screenplay produced, but it comes very easy to me to be able to work on those. Um, especially if I'm working with somebody else. So that's why, and then it's not like, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, I, I send something to them and then I get something else from somebody else and that kind of thing. So it's segued that way. And then with the other books right now, I'm primarily focused on the third book in this series. And then when I kind of need to reset my brain, I switch over to that novella that I was talking about. I think novellas off of a series are fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I say that CR's written a five book series and she has seven novellas off of the five book series that are all like 25, 30,000 words. 25, yeah. I cut it down to 25. You told I me know, a hard stop at 25. Just barely though, just barely. <laughs> if, if I didn't so, tell her she had a cap, she would still be going. CR, what do you write? I'd love to hear about it. Um, my, this, I actually do something called the Realm series. Um, so right now we're finishing up on the first realm and there'll be seven in total and each realm is gonna be a different genre of writing. So I'll get to experiment with all the different types of writing. Um, but it's about a girl who gets cast out from her original realm and doesn't know it until a guy shows up and pulls her into the middle of a war and is just like, hey, you gotta fix this. So she, sorry, my the dog, dog, by the way, that sudden reaction. Yes. He just like bit my shirt. So it caught me a little bit off guard. That's okay. But I, it's, locked um, my, yeah, I locked my dog out of the room. Yeah. Heavy he studio, do that, studio things. <laughs> he's just been anyway. really sketchy today. He went to play with some friends at a doggy daycare yesterday. And now he's just all kinds of weird. They taught him bad habits. That's what happened. Yeah. So I, the next realm, this is the heart realm, and it's a young adult series that's, okay. that's um, that. magical. And the next realm is the... I'm torn between doing either the sci-fi realm or the mystery detective realm. So I keep going back and forth. But would you classify the whole series? A couple of questions for you, actually, because I'm really interested in this. So the first question is, would you classify the whole series as YA fantasy? And this follow-up question is, are they connected through characters? Yes. Or, okay, so it's the same so, characters. Well, it's not the same characters, but there are main characters that get woven throughout all of the realms because they're kind of like the flagship of, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Um, but they basically, it, it's, it's an all-out war going on between the realms. So basically somebody had to start it, right? So it's a giant mystery of how it gets going and how to actually stop it. So you have the main runners that kind of keep pulling people into their disasters in these different realms. So they kind of go with the travelers and go throughout. Um, but I wouldn't call it all young adult fantasy because we have like the detective realm. We're doing a sci-fi realm. 
Um, there is more of uh, angels versus demons in one of them. So that's kind of fantasy, but. I and you're, are you expecting the same readers through all seven books? Seven series? It's 37 yeah, like she's got in the yeah. series, by the way. It's what? Yeah. Just open Pandora's box. She's got 37, <laughs> not including the novellas in this. 37 this. books? Yes. Wow. How many have you written? Um, I have, let's see, I just finished Depression. So published, I have six. Wow. One, two, three. Yep. And then um, I just finished up four more. So I'm about to just bombard my editor with just all the books at once. So I can kind of take a breather and she can kind of sink down with them for a while. She doesn't get a breather. No, she doesn't. And, oh, I won't. So, and the novellas, are they connected? And is it the type of thing that you kind of just give away for free? Yeah, they're all connected. Um, so for this heart realm, I took the main characters. Um, and so the, the heart realm follows a girl named Avery. So the novellas are all about the people that end up coming into her life and how they got into her life, um, which a lot of people have actually had a lot of fun with, with the novellas. I find it super stressful trying to keep to a word count personally, but they've actually been a lot of fun. It's really cool getting to dive into the individual characters. She does, no, they're not given away for free. And I mean, you can always have a freebie story. There is a freebie story you can give away in your newsletter if you want to post it on, you know, Kindle or something like that. But I wouldn't give away your novellas for free. These are origin stories for her characters. I know this because I'm also right. her publisher. But um, yeah. so like, they're, and they're not thin. Like they're so they're origin <laughs> stories. But I think that it's a really great idea because when people read your books, a lot of books out there, there's so much more they want to know sometimes about the sub characters or some group in the thing that you don't really you, you you're using them and they're talking about this thing and this happened, but they go away after maybe, you know, 10 pages of whatever, you know, different back and forth. And then people like, I joke, I always call it like Leon the barista, like you write a story and you're using him as a plot point, you know, just to move the story along. And everybody's like, what's Leon's story? And you're like, who? And then you go back and look and he was a barista in your story and everybody wants to know about him because somehow they fell in love with this character that said three lines, you know? Yes. Yeah. Why was he wearing a green shirt? It's like, I, I was wearing a green shirt. So I was like, hey. Yeah. So what I'm planning on doing, so about 65% of my book takes place in the present day and 35% takes place in the past. And the flashback scenes are not told in chrono chronological order. So I'm not spoiling anything with this, but we find out that the main character from the past actually basically escapes his predicament and Venice in the very beginning of the book. Um, it's essentially a prologue, although I don't call it a prologue, but it is a prologue. Because uh, sometimes people don't like prologues, whatever. So anyway, and then the mystery is unraveled in different layers and pieces as you read forward. But what I wanna do is with the novella is go back to this character because he is the main character of the past scenes and we would find out what happens to him. And that, it really, originally I wanted to write it as a full book, but I'm thinking of maybe doing like, segmenting it out into different novellas, you know, almost like a, like a series of novellas. 
I think that's a great idea. I love the series of novellas because the other thing it can do is you've got books, you've got the second one coming out, but you have a long delay, not in a bad way. I'm not saying this in a bad way, but you have a delay in your books coming out. And sometimes these novellas can satiate the readers because the readers of your book, the readers of anybody's books tend to be very voracious readers. People who are true yeah. readers are like, let me eat, let me eat, let me eat, let me eat. And so you have to find something to give to them every now and then. So even though they read your book, if they have to wait a year or whatever for your next one, give them a couple novellas in between because then they're still like attached to the story. Yeah, totally. CR, do you rapid release? Um, typically if I get the, if, when I give them to my editor, they're typically out within a month and a half, two months. Isn't that kind of what we do? Three months. months. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stockpiling. Yeah. Vacation in there. Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to work, but, um, we'll put them out about every three months. I'm honestly, it just depends on your publisher and depends on the writer. The fact is, is that there's so many stuff. Oh, you know, we've actually hit. We have to take a break. I'm going to bring this up on the next day. We have to take a break. I will be right back. I will by myself. Be right back with Jeremy. Just kidding. We're ditching. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening. We'll be right back. Okay. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back. And because Rob's already done this, I'm going to make him show show the audience what this is. Because, you know, for those listening, you're going to have to definitely check out the YouTube because this is kind of amazing. Okay. So Erica was talking about the logo on her wine bottle, which has a sword in a tombstone, is it? Yes, and a chicken. Don't forget the chicken. It's very vital. Yeah. A heart and the chicken. And, you know, I don't know. It's Sergio Borsa, right? The label? Yes, I think yes. so. Uh, yes. So I don't know how old that that winery is, but it's quite possible that it's hundreds of years old, maybe, maybe a couple hundred years old from. But anyway, um, a lot of types of places like that have very interesting logos that have some type of symbolism. And my book is very much sort of like a Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code meets uh, like Diana Gabaldon's Outlander. So I'm really into like all these kind of old things and symbolism that goes into it and like, you know, adventure and all that type of stuff. So anyway, I recently had a birthday and uh, my brother lives in London 
and flew to Venice because I had actually asked him, it cost him 18 bucks, by the way, to go from London to Venice. Jealous, yes, I am. And because um, I asked him to take some pictures of like the book around Venice and he did that, but he also got me this incredible birthday present. And I should mention that my wife and my brother actually both went in on it. Um, so first of all, this is the outside, which you can't really see that well, but it's essentially a vellum uh, binding of an old book uh, and with a wax seal right there from 1590. And there are some pages from an atlas from 1590 and I should not be really handling these pages with my bare hands, but it's okay. So these are pages from uh, an atlas. Let me show you the front, actually, from 1590 about Venice. Wow. And, you know, the way they printed back then is this was probably originally a woodcut. And they would create the woodcut and then put ink on it and then press it on this paper, which is really cool. Um, so that's the front of it. And inside is a map of Venice from 1590, wow. which is accurate in terms of its layout, but probably not that particularly helpful if you're looking for- <laughs> Trying know, to find out where to go. If you're yeah. looking for the mask store or something. Yeah. I'm looking for the um, local tavern. Um. Right. And then <laughs> what really reminded me of this when you were talking about the logo on the wine bottle is this particular page. So this is actually the logo of the publisher from 1590. Wow. And that tower, I find just incredibly intriguing. Um, you know, I just really wonder what it is. There's this movie with Johnny Depp called The Ninth Gate. Oh, yeah. 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 And he finds this kind of like castle at the very end of it. And it just totally reminds me of that. Like, it's just like, it looks like this castle or tower, I guess, that's out in the middle of nowhere. It's sticking up what looks to be like, I don't know, like 15 stories or something like that. And it's just so completely intriguing. And I don't know if it's symbolic for the publisher or if it was a real place. And it very well could be. So I'm almost certainly going to look into this and probably incorporate it into my third book. I think that's a brilliant idea. What yeah, I think is that. amazing about that is um, publishers logo. We're not that fancy anymore. That's super fancy. <laughs> not a penguin. Yes, we're nowhere near that fancy anymore. Oh my goodness. Sierra, are you trying to find the tower? Is that what's happening right now? I'm trying to see if there's a tower somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so like there are, I mean, lone towers, towers upon yeah, a hill are, in Italy. <laughs> yeah, there are these incredible towers. I'm going to help myself with another one if that's okay. Uh, with trees on top. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of cool stuff. Because a lot of times back then, they took like actual scenes from places yep. and did that type of stuff. Exactly. So I'm trying to find Lone Tower on a hill. In Italy, I don't, I don't know if it's probably called Lone Tower on a Hill, but if you find it, I'm going to be thoroughly impressed, but not yeah. surprised. Send it, send I'm going to tell Corey about it, and he'll find it within like 15 seconds. Yeah, so I might be like, able to watch. do a Google image. Yeah, or I can do a Google image search on. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, and it's doing. in some rich person's backyard now, and it has a water slide that comes from it. <laughs> Just kidding. Right? Can you imagine? Okay, we do that here in America. They don't. <laughs> they don't do that over. 
overseas as much. Not that everybody in America does that, but we tend to be more like, well, this is cool. We should uh, put a water slide through history. it. Hey, everybody likes water slides. That is a true story. That is a true story. I saw one the other day that has like a clear bottom that goes down a mountainside. Oh my and God. I was like, yes. Oh, and the one that goes through a city, I was going to die watching the video. Yeah. I was like, this is, this seems neat, but yet completely fucking terrifying. Like, I, I don't know. It's kind of like those. Um, hey, I think I found that, it. Oh, did you? <laughs> I think I did. Seriously? Oh my goodness. Yeah, like, I'm going to allow you to I'm share gonna... your screen if you did. No, you Let's... can't see my screen because I have all of my writing on here. Can you change the window? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks. Could you <laughs> switch that up? You yeah. giant tease. Look, I think I found it, but nobody can see it. TV. I, <laughs> I was going to send it to you guys in, in Facebook. Okay, so let's see. How do I share screen? There By the way, Erica, that button. I got you. The, um, the, the clear glass walkway at the Grand Canyon, if that's what you're talking about, I've been there. That's pretty cool. Where is that, that? That's it, right? Um, well, or I'm not it's sure this, one. this one actually has, it, it could very well be, um, the bottom of it has that kind of base and there also seems to be like, um, a pole sticking out and I say pole because it's, it's obviously it's, not yeah, yeah, it's a pole it's in the 1500s, years. who the heck knows what that is now? I know. But the does it look like that one? Which one? This one. Oh, that one. Yeah. Uh, my a little bit the one on the right yeah the right okay honestly okay. they're cool. all pretty cool that's neat thanks so anyone out there I'm listening that knows what the hell tower <laughs> we're talking about please feel free to post it and tag drinking with authors because what's it. the funny thing is all of a sudden from this episode we'll get like people just <laughs> posting this tower just random towers from across the world Yes. Awesome. Okay. What were we talking about right before the break? I'm now all sidetracked with wine and towers. Rapid publishing. Rapid. Oh, rapid fire publishing. So I made a note. You know, thank you. That's smart because I wouldn't, I literally was like, what the hell were we talking about? Um, I knew we were talking about something though. That's at least a point. One of the things about rapid fire publishing is honestly, there's studies that say that um, you have to have at least six books out to get a true deep like following going because they want to be fed and a lot of the income like all the marketing you're doing which is fantastic and great but you do that on your third book you'll see 10 times the results because they have something to keep clicking the buy right. button even if when your third book comes out you're promoting your first book because that's what people do is they want to hit the buy button and if they like it i mean we do the same thing on our kindle or whether, you know, you like to read the paper, which is totally fine or whatever, you know, um, they want all of it. Like even when we're at conventions and stuff and like CRs at a convention, they're not buying book one. They're buying all of the books on our table to read the entire thing. So. Yeah. Sorry. Did I interrupt you? No, 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 no. I've heard of people releasing like 12 to 18 books a year, um, which first of all, Blows my mind that they're writing. Ghost writing kills me though. There's ghost writing involved in that. Not everyone, but there's ghost writing. So it, yeah. it blows my mind on the writing side of it, but it also kind of blows my mind on the reading side because I mean, it takes me just because of time. 
not my reading speed, but probably about three weeks or so to read a book. And I, to you read- You are the like, exception, not the rule on that, my friend. Saying that's fast or slow? You're way too slow. Romance readers <laughs> on average read five to seven books a week. Five to seven yeah, books I a do. week? How yeah, do I go through time? like a book a day, sometimes How do you have that time? Because like, so the way I write is weird. So if I'm not writing, then I'm reading because like you have to keep, I have to keep like a constant flow to keep my mind busy. So like, if I'm not writing that I read and I read stupidly fast. See, this is a whole new world to me that I did not know (laughs) even existed in, in since maybe like I learned about it maybe like four or five months ago. I never even heard of it. It's incredible to me. Yeah, no, the average readers, minimally one book a week, average readers, they they go through a lot. Now, if you have an incredibly busy schedule and you're whatever, it can take you longer. It takes me longer to read a lot of, I do a lot of audiobook listening because I found that it's easier because when I'm doing chores and just doing the mundane stuff throughout my day. I do both, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have time. I don't have time to sit and do this, but I have time to, throughout my day, throw my airpods in and listen to different books i've gotten so many more books quote unquote read that way since um uh for that but like like cr i have so many friends that read a book a night or a book every two days and they go through it so you have to realize that your readers even if you go okay maybe they're on the slow side and they read a book every three weeks you're they have another hypothetically 48 weeks of the year then or 49 weeks they're waiting for your next book so what are they going to put in the middle of that 49 weeks you know it's interesting and then they could start liking 40 of those 49 authors better that's true but not only that but you forget about the series too because i had one series i really liked and she took two years to do the next book and like i had completely forgotten all about her i was like holy shit yeah i remember that yeah it's a concern yeah so then, writing faster, and you get faster, I'm sure you've seen this as you start going into the next books, but writing faster. And then the other thing that is a fantastic idea is to get other authors that write similar genre and like the same genre as you or similar genres to you and do takeovers of their pages and have it like a spread talk about because then you're keeping them in the family. So if you have other authors and they're reading their books and they're reading this books, but you're still kind of top of mind to them because they do that. And it's not bad. It's not that your readers won't go, oh, yeah, when they get the notification that you have your next book out, if they subscribe to that. But not all readers do. Like on Amazon, you can subscribe, for instance, to say any book that comes out from this author, notify me a book that's coming out from that author, right? That's mm-hmm. something you want to encourage because otherwise, when are they going to know book two's out or book three's out or the novellas are out? So it's it's a way it's, to do it. It's very and, interesting. I need to take over Dan Brown's Facebook page and Diana Gabaldon's. Well, um, not, not going to lie. There are definitely ways you can put yourself there for that. So, um, but the thing is, like I have uh, one of the people who've been on our podcast. She's amazing. And, and she wrote 10 books in a year, right? That was huge. She put, wrote and put out 10 books. Now, some of her books are smaller novels. They're all, um, a lot of them are mystery and stuff like that, but she put out 10 of them in a year. And she was like, full-time writing, that was a huge stretch. So anybody who puts out 12 to 18, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but 
five percent of the time they're they have ghostwriters. Especially if they're over fifty thousand words, there's no way. Like I, my bigger books are what eighty thousand words. Like there's no way I can push out twelve. That's pushing out eighty thousand words plus editing. That's one a month. Like that's that's ridiculous. You know, CR is a writer. Val Willis, who's a a partner of mine at the publishing company, she did three hundred twenty thousand words last year. Like, and that's huge. That is huge that she wrote 320,000 yeah. so words. It's basically, ten, yeah, like on a, on a, I, I, on a good day, I actually can do 10,000 words in a day, but in a huge, but that's basically not doing anything else. And that's also, I'm a big outliner. So that's also like post outline, post research and everything, you know, that's just, just like when I'm in the zone and cruising. So it's not like I can, I can hit that rate consistently, you know, for 322 days or whatever, whatever number you said, like 322 days a year. No, that's exact. But see, that's the point is some people do a lot better. And so when I'm talking about these people who are the, the exception and not the rule, when you see people go, I put out 12 books, you're, you've got to go probably not on your own, dude. And that sucks because there are a lot of people that actually make a living doing ghostwriting, not their writing. They do ghostwriting because people who get into that sort of thing are people who are in marketing and sales and they do all the other stuff. And they're like, look, I put this out. And I'm like, yeah, that's not yours. And when you read their books, you you can can tell tell the tone. Yeah. Yeah. And then also hire people to do their marketing, obviously, as well. Sometimes, I mean, it's it's great if you find people like Stephanie, who does the wine, you know, and books and things like that. They're amazing. There are definitely people that are right to invest your money in marketing-wise. You should know that, marketing and sales. There are some people that are absolutely brilliant to do that. And then there are all the scams in the world. They tell you, if you give me your $100, I will get you 50,000 Twitter don't, followers. Don't get me started on this going on in writing it's unbelievable let's just say promoted on writer's warmth <laughs> hard you know what i'm talking about hard dm now mm-hmm. um, yes it's constantly crazy how they stalk you it's like those people are do. dedicated it's unbelievable it's and you know it's like someone in india who has a hundred thousand followers 99 99 of them are bots and the other thousand are probably in, in India. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they're probably not, it's not really the market for my book. And then they're like, please, sir, you know, what is, are my prices too high? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> if it was free, I probably wouldn't do it. It's yeah, kind of like, no, exactly. it's like putting a book, like a business card on a bulletin board with another 500 business cards at a coffee shop. Yeah. Is it going to hurt you? Probably not. But is anyone going to actually get your business from that? No. No, and that, that's the, the sad part is that authors don't know and it sounds really good, just like any scams that are out there. It sounds fantastic. You want to get your book out there. You want to do that. It's just, it, it definitely takes some education and stuff like that. And it's not a, a lonely sport. You have to find your people in your community and your tribe so that you don't yeah. fall into all the dumb crap that can happen out there. It's crazy how all these scammers think that authors are loaded. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, I don't think they think like, they're really loaded. The I, think, I think they're group. desperate. Yeah. I think they're desperate. Yeah. I yeah, you're they- right. Yeah. Um, it's just mind-boggling to me. It's no. honestly, 
Yeah, like having done sales. So my background in sales and marketing is in tech, you know, like software sales and stuff like that. And it really is honestly easier to sell like a 10 or I mean, I'm sorry, I meant to say a five or six figure um, software product than it is like a book. It's true, but you'll find, especially as you get through your third one and beyond, you'll hit a momentum. There will be yes. a momentum. There will be a fan base. Yeah. There will be that. And you'll figure out for your group what works and you'll figure out what doesn't work and what you need to do. I'll tell you, it's more than anything, it's feeding the machine. It's feeding the machine. Very Absolutely. rare. And by the way, I should preface that with that. Like, I'm, like things are, are going actually very well with my book. So I'm okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, um, we didn't think they were going badly. But they yeah. can always be going better. And people are planning. <laughs> like, and one of the reasons why I'm asking about all the release stuff and the novellas and everything is that I hear a lot from people that they're kind of clamoring and they can't wait for the next book to come out. So that's why I do, I'm, I'm strongly considering sort of putting the third one on hold for a little bit and releasing the novellas in the meantime. If you have them or do them concurrently, but if you're going to release those, if your publisher's down for a good, otherwise you're going to have to open the door called self-publishing. And that's well, a little bit of a door. self-publishing the novellas. Yeah. But don't just put them on Kindle Unlimited. Don't do that to your audience. Why not? Because although Kindle is a, a huge population, it's not the only population. In truth. Right. But how many people are like percentage wise, let's say, is it worth not doing Kindle Unlimited to get the Kobo readers? It's not just Kobo. you got to realize, oh, see, you're opening an entire Pandora's box. We, you know what? We should really probably are. talk, except this is a box and it, it has many <laughs> demons in it. So um, why don't we just make a point to talk off the podcast and I will give you okay. all of the things and you can make your decision then based I'd on that. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love yes. to. Thank you. Yes. And of course, anybody out there listening, if you want to hit me up on the, the social medias, I will try to answer any questions I can. Not that I'm a perfect expert, but I do have been there, done that, and have a few t-shirts in my closet in regards <laughs> to this. Cool. So, Okay, so Rob, what was your inspiration for this story? Did you see a painting and you're like, I want to marry that chick? <laughs> well, it was well, that more should like, be the inspiration. <laughs> it was more like I want to marry that 450-year-old dead guy. Um, okay. And Makes all right. Yeah, by the way, that's not a sexual orientation comment. Not that not that it matters, but my, my wife might get upset about that. Um, <laughs> I've also had some drinks. And I should also point out that if the the color of me is changing while I'm drinking, it's not because my face is getting more flush, it's because the sun is going down and when we and I have a ring light right here. And I don't have any upward lights on me. It's okay. You so can start getting a button. That's what's you don't happening. Have to make and I've noticed yeah. this because I keep looking at myself. So, <laughs> Likely excuse. Likely excuse. Yeah. Let me have another sip. Here, I can put my ring light on too, and I look like really pasty and glowy. It's bizarre. So, <laughs> it's cool. Anyway. So, Erica, in answer to your question, 
Yes, it wasn't that I wanted to marry somebody in uh, the painting, but it was the painting that actually was the inspiration and not the particular painting in this book, actually. So I think this is an interesting story. So the paradise is the titular subject of the prisoner of paradise. And that's the name of the painting by Jacopo Tintoretto, a Renaissance master. Um, he's, he's not a household name, but he's certainly in the top 10. Um, you know, people who have studied art history certainly know him. So anyway, in Venice, he's, he's Venetian or was Venetian. And in Venice, paradise is located in a place called the Doge's Palace in Italian, the Palazzo di Cale. And the Doge's Palace is essentially a combination of the White House and Congress. Um, so most Americans don't know that Venice was its own republic and prior to the unification of Italy. And they were actually their own republic and also the world's largest maritime power for close to a thousand years. They were extremely wealthy. You know, they were the trading capital of Europe, which is why, you know, when you go to Europe, you see these, I mean, when you go to Venice, you see these incredible marble buildings and everything is filled with priceless art and all that. Um, so they were extraordinarily wealthy. And there's one particular room in the Doge's palace where the senators went. So the reason why I say is the combination of like the White House and Congress is because they had an elected leader called the Doge, which was a, basically a duke, um, but he was elected for life. But they also had senators. So in this one particular room in this building, all of the senators would meet there. And at one point, it was the largest room in all of Europe. And on one particular side of the room was this painting called Paradise. And it's still there, actually, I should say. And there's a whole backstory on the painting, which I can get into, but Tintoretto painted this painting. So prior to me seeing this, I had gone to another museum that originally was a different, I had a different purpose than being a museum called the Scuola di San Rocco in Venice that's completely filled with Tintoretto paintings and other uh, Renaissance masters. And there's one particular painting called this Crucifixion, which as you could imagine is about the crucifixion. Also very, very large, probably about 25 or 30 feet wide by maybe 20 feet high. And this painting just completely captivated me the moment I saw it. Um, and I'm not a religious person by the way, but it's just the content and the technique of the art. You know, most paintings of the crucifixion are very hyper-focused on basically like Jesus on the cross, right? This one, is kind of like a wide angle establishing shot in action. So it's like if you took a freeze frame of a movie of an establishing shot, this would be it. Um, it's, you know, it has, I forgot the names of the, of the people, but there are two other crosses. And um, one of them is actually like going up in progress. There's probably 75 people in this particular painting. They're all doing different things. It's really, really, really cool. Um, and the people in the painting are from all different walks of life, different uh, races, ages, genders, you name it. And I started to think like, who, and every single one of, again, this painting was really big. So all of these people in this painting are individual portraits of their own. And I started thinking, who are these people that essentially got immortalized into these works of art and not this particular painting, but all of them. You know, obviously um, painters to this day still use models, but did he have a line of models out the door? Probably not, you know, like hundreds of people. So then I got the idea, you know, again, I love telling stories and everything. So I was thinking, okay, maybe it was their souls that were captured 
from their bodies and actually put into this painting. And then I started doing research and discovered paradise, which was, it still gives me chills thinking about it, how perfect the content and the composition of this particular painting is for what I wanted to do for the story I wanted to tell. So um, I did that research, found paradise. I did see it after the fact, and honestly, like it, it's mind blowing to see this painting. Um, so that is the inspiration for it. That is very, That's very awesome. cool. I'm telling you that whole backstory you kind of told about the paintings and stuff though, that is at least a novella about how that entire group traps them. Stuff just yep. saying, there's a whole thing there that you can use. I, I love it. So many options. Novellas are so much fun because it's just making up your already made up stuff even more. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree, CR. Like, it's really cool to just sort of like you, you take your own thing that you've developed, that you've made, and then you just kind of like go off and run with it. It's yeah. a fun experience. Yeah. I think, yeah, no, totally. Okay. Well, guess what? We're at the end of this particular podcast. So, shameless self promotion, Rob. Tell people where to find you. Okay. So, again, the book is called The Prisoner of Paradise. This is it. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and basically anywhere else um, you want to buy it from. Um, you can find me at mynamerobsamborn.com on my website. Uh, and I'm also on every social media platform you can think of. Usually my handles are at Rob Samborn. Very, very You want cool. to find some fun TikTok videos. I was going to say, you got to follow the TikTokness. Did you, do you have a newsletter people can subscribe to? to I do. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to my website, robsanborn.com, you can subscribe to the newsletter. Very, very cool. You have been so much fun to have on this podcast. Like, I've learned so many things. I, I like can't believe it. Is it over already? This is awesome. I, I'm only in my second drink. Oh, I know. Don't worry. There's going to be your follow-up literary piece. It's going to come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> So this has been Drinking With Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. EWA10 is the coupon code. I'm saying it slow now because when I say it too fast and I've been drinking, another first word comes out. We're not going to go over that right now, but it happens. <laughs> My co-host has been C.R. Rice, and our guest has been the amazing Ron Rob Sanborn. I can do this. It's fine. It's a good thing I don't get paid for this. Anyway. Hey, I we hope to see you guys next time.